Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope alongside Griffin Strom. Two weeks into the Ohio State football season, and Ohio State is 2-0 and after a win over Arkansas State on Saturday. And Griffin, you, you look at what happened around college football this weekend, some, some major upsets that we'll get into later in the show. That's really the most important thing, right, that Ohio State's still sitting here undefeated. Yeah, I think a lot of fans might look at the performance from Ohio State on Saturday against Arkansas State and say, hey, it wasn't quite the complete and utter domination. Listen, Ohio State didn't shut Arkansas State out or score 70 points in the game or anything like that. Didn't cover the the spread in going into the game there. But listen, when you look at what teams around the country did this weekend, and especially in the Sun Belt, Dan, the Sun Belt was knocking everybody off this week. I, I wrote a couple days ago, that, the, that week one kind of felt like almost a, a soft launch for college football because there just wasn't quite as much craziness in terms of the, uh, the huge scale upsets and things like that. Week two definitely delivered a lot of those. So Ohio State fans should definitely be happy that they were not on that side of the equation this weekend. Yeah, but Power 5 went just three and three against the Sun Belt with Notre Dame losing to Marshall, Texas A&M losing to Appalachian State, and Nebraska losing to Georgia Southern. But Ohio State was among the three teams getting a win over the Sun Belt with a 45-12 to win over Arkansas State. And, and look, I, I get why some Ohio State fans might feel a little underwhelmed by that game. I mean, Ohio State was favored by 44 points going into the game and they didn't cover the spread, but at the same time, they still won the game by 33 points. And so I think some of the stuff you might see out of there, some out of the negativity out, out there, to me, it's very overblown. To me, I come out of that game feeling like, yeah, it was fine. Ohio State got a win, did what it was supposed to do, take care of business and move on to the next game. I mean, I, I know we had a poll on 11 Warriors, I think, on Sunday, basically asking readers to grade the performance against Arkansas State. 64% of 11W readers graded the performance as a B and 30% graded it as a C. I, I think that's fair. I think that's probably, I, I gave it a B. I, I went with B. And I, I mean, I can understand a C just because Arkansas State was viewed as this inferior opponent and Ohio State didn't completely dominate the game from start to finish, but I'd still give them a B because at the end of the day, I mean, I mean Ohio State was never not in control of that game. Ohio State, it was it was always pretty clear that Ohio State was going to win that game. They, they didn't quite pull away as early as maybe we would have fought. I thought, I think both of us fought going into the game that the starters would come out a little bit earlier than they did. C.J. Stroud and most of the starters ended up playing into the fourth quarter. So I, I would say in that sense, it didn't quite meet my expectations. But at the same time, I mean, you heard Ryan Day say after the game on Saturday, we have a lot of things we want to clean up, but we don't want to start taking winning for granted. And then you see what else happened around college football. And that's why you don't take a win for granted, especially when it's a win by 33 points. And the two things I was looking at for Ohio State in this performance was number one, can the defense look as good as it looked against Notre Dame, if not better given the caliber of opponent. And when you look at what Arkansas State did on the ground, 1.6 yards per carry, look that they had some more success in the, the passing game, but Ohio State didn't give up a touchdown all game. Arkansas State got in position to score with a lot of field goals, but Ohio State never quite broke all the way. They didn't allow a touchdown in that game. The other thing was, can the Ohio State passing game return to form after kind of a ho-hum uh, first game against Notre Dame? 
And that's ex- exactly what, you know, CJ Stroud and company did, even without Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming. Stroud finishing with 351 yards, four touchdowns on just 16 completions. A lot of big plays for the Ohio State offense, even in the run game as well. So as far as those two things, if those are the two things you were looking for in that game, I think Ohio State passed those tests with pretty flying colors as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I have to say the most ridiculous comment I think I saw all weekend was someone replied to one of my tweets saying that CJ Stroud played himself out of Heisman contention on Saturday because I thought CJ Stroud was pretty great on Saturday. Like you mentioned, 351 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, just just re-watching the game and, and just watching him in the first two games, you just get a sense that like, he's in control. Like he, he just He really seems to be doing a great job of reading the defenses, going through progressions, making smart decisions with the football. You just get a sense that he's in control. I mean, he hasn't had a healthy Jackson Smith and Jigba yet. And so we still haven't seen quite what this offense, particularly the passing offense, can be at full octane. But I think we saw the potential of it on Saturday because, I mean, as you mentioned, Marvin Harrison Jr. was phenomenal Seven catches, 184 yards, three touchdowns. He earned Big Ten Offensive Player of a Week honors. Emeka Buka also had another big day. Four catches, 118 yards, and a touchdown. And almost had a 78-yard punt return touchdown. That one was nullified by penalties. But both of those guys showing on Saturday, I think what we expected to see from them coming into this year, but both of those guys in their second year at Ohio State, they look like the next star receivers for Ohio State. They're already becoming that. And it, I think now you, you think ahead and you go, okay, if Marvin can keep playing like that and Mecca can keep playing like that and you can get Jackson Smith and Jigba back and if Julian Fleming can finally stay healthy and make an impact, this receiver group ha- has the potential, I think, to be just as elite as last year's group. They're not there yet. I mean, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were phenomenal players, but you see the potential that if things keep going in the right direction, that this receiver group can once again be the best receiver group in college football. Because I think particularly when you talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Eka Buka, we've seen it from all those guys that they are extremely talented wide receivers who really might all be among the best receivers in the country, at least by the end of the year. Yeah, Dan, when we just mentioned a lot of great things that the Ohio State players in particular did on Saturday, but I think really it was some some special teams errors and just general penalties and things of that nature that might have held Ohio State back from maybe putting a little bit more points on the board. You mentioned the punt return touchdown for Ibuka that got wiped out there. And that was one thing that, that Day has really been harping on in his few appearance, his public appearances and statements that he's made since the game. Ohio State, nine penalties, I think, what, for 95 yards, 85 yards, excuse me. And then obviously the one, the Taraja Mitchell one that, that wiped out that Ibuka punt return touchdown. I mean, if not for that, then we could, we could be looking at a, a bit more of a dominant performance. But I think as we talk about the, the takeaways from the game and the kind of the Ohio State fans' perspective of things. One of our, our listener questions from the Shookster was, what would your advice be for the section of Ohio State fans that can't seem to enjoy anything, Dan? Because I think for a lot of people, a lot of people around the country, especially those teams we mentioned that actually got upset by Sunbelt teams this weekend, a 45-12 to 12 win sounds pretty, pretty darn good in, in their eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's what I just said, right? I mean, it's a fact that, you, I mean, you have top 10 teams that lost this weekend to unranked, group of five mid-major teams, whatever you you want to call them. 
Ohio State took care of business and won convincingly. And so, I mean, I mean, I feel like I, I, I talk about this all the time, so I don't want to really harp on it too much here. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would just my advice, and I really don't think it's our listeners to be honest. I, I, I think, I think there's some people out there that just want to nitpick every little thing that goes wrong and really harp on on those things that go wrong. T- to me, I mean, it's, it, I mean, to me, you come out of a game again, like a game against Arkansas State. I mean, expecting everything to look perfect against Arkansas State, like it just doesn't happen. Like you look around the country and how many teams are you going to find out there that played perfect this past weekend? Almost nobody. So things aren't going to be perfect every week. The most important thing at, at the end of the day is that you you take care of business and you come out of there with a win. Now, like you said, Griffin, that doesn't mean there aren't things that need to be cleaned up. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that the coaches and players really need to to work on to make sure that they don't get bitten by those things in a more competitive game. I mean, particularly the penalties, you could tell that that's something Ryan Day is not happy about. And he mentioned when he was on the radio Monday that penalty against Taraja Mitchell giving a possession back to Arkansas State, which ultimately led to a field goal for them. He said something like that, that could be the difference between winning and losing in a more competitive game. And he's right. And so there certainly are things that Ohio State needs to clean up. There certainly are things that Ohio State can do better. But I I think at the end of the day, as long as you're getting out of there with a win and you're able to proceed forward, yeah, that's the most important thing because I think a lot of times people want to compare. They want to watch a game and they'll say, well, if Ohio State plays like this, they're not good enough to beat Alabama and Georgia. But I mean, Alabama almost lost on Saturday to Texas. Uh, I mean, Georgia, I mean, they, they, they probably let off the gas in the second half, but Georgia beat Samford, an FCS team, by the same number of points as Ohio State beat an FBS team by. And so the, the idea that Ohio State two weeks into the season is not playing well enough to beat any, any mythical great team out there. I, I just, I just think any of that is an overreaction. And I think first of all, enjoy the wins. And secondly, recognize that there's a long way to go and that Ohio state, I mean, right now, I mean, realistically, I mean, again, you, you think back to the last time Ohio state won a national championship back in 2014, they lost in the second game of a season and nobody would have guessed at that point in the season that Ohio State was going to win the national championship that year. And so Ohio State doesn't need to look like a national championship team in every facet right now. Right now, the most important thing is they just got to keep winning and keep getting better so that they are able to play for a national championship come December and January. Let's let's get back to talking about what we actually saw on the field on Saturday. And I think defensively, what we saw was Another strong showing. They, they they did allow Arkansas State into the red zone four times, but did not allow a touchdown. Ohio State now one for six on the season in limiting opponents to field goals in the red zone this year. Hasn't allowed a touchdown in more than six quarters. Now, granted, you can look at the competition and say not the toughest competition so far. I mean, Notre Dame scored 21 points against Marshall this past week. And so certainly I, I, I think early indications are that Notre Dame's offense isn't very good. Arkansas State, obviously, from a talent perspective, is not at Ohio State's level. And so 
this defense hasn't been fully tested yet, and, and we talked about it last week. I still think it's going to be a while before this defense does get fully tested. I mean, you got Toledo this week. Next week, they play Wisconsin, who scored 14 points in a loss to Washington State this past weekend. And then the week after that, they play Rutgers. And so, I mean, I look at like Michigan State again in that sixth game of a season as being the first real test of this defense. And so I still think it's going to be a few weeks before Ohio State faces a team that can really give us a, a clearer picture of how good this defense actually is. But nonetheless, by any measure, the fact that Ohio State has allowed only 22 points so far this season and has allowed only one touchdown so far this season is a great start to the year. Yeah, Dan, one of my favorite quotes from after the game was, I think it was Cody Simon that said, it's great and all that we've only allowed 22 points through the first two games, but we're a defense that wants to shut people out. We want to be the the top defense in the country. That was what we heard coming into the season. And Ohio State right now, it doesn't rank in, in the top five in terms of total defense or anything like that at the moment. Of course, that, that may improve as the season goes on. I certainly think the Ohio State defense is, is passing the bar right now for, for what I think Ryan Day and company should, should expect out of it at, at this juncture. Minbuck asks us, is the dramatic red zone and third down defensive improvement real or a product of the opposition? Dan, I said it before the season opener. I said, and, and everyone knows this to be true, but you just don't know what a team like Notre Dame is going to end up being. I mean, we still don't know what Notre Dame is going to be by the end of the season. Obviously losing against Marshall starting 0-2. Marcus Freeman starting off 0-3 now. Then you look at Arkansas State as well. Arkansas State last year had like the number 11, what was it, the number 11 pass offense in the country, obviously not playing the same caliber of teams as you'd find in the Big Ten and things like that. But, you know, maybe not the the worst defense or worst offense in the country that Ohio State could be testing itself against. Like you said, though, certainly bigger tests ahead for the Buckeyes. But Dan, in terms of some guys that we saw really perform well in that Arkansas State matchup, how about Mike Hall? asserting himself on that defensive line once again for the Buckeyes. And I think really kind of asserting himself as perhaps a, a, a defensive star for Ohio State. It's still early. It's only two games. But, you know, in his first two starts here at Ohio State, I mean, he's been an absolute stud in both of these games now. Yeah, five tackles for loss in two games. Yeah, he's he's been elite so far. His, his play has been fantastic. I Right now, I do believe that he is the quote-unquote alpha dog of the defensive line until we see otherwise, because I think he's certainly been most disruptive player up front on that defensive line. That's not to say that there haven't been other defensive linemen who have played well. Like, I thought quietly, like, especially after, like, re-watching the game, I thought quietly that Jack Sawyer had a really good game on Saturday. I thought he played really well. I thought JT had a pretty good game. I think some of it, too, is I think the way this defense operates, I think it's creating more opportunities for a guy like Mike Hall inside. It's creating more opportunities for guys like Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers to make big plays on the blitz. And it's not, it's not necessarily designed in a way for the defensive ends to be one that rack up all the sacks. So I think there's times where you really watch it. Sawyer or Tuimolowau or who, whoever else, Zach Harrison, those guys on the end, they're doing a good job in, in what they're doing is actually opening up lanes up the middle for guys like Mike Hall, like Tommy Eichenberg, like Steel Chambers, like Cody Simon to, 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 to go unblocked and make a big play. Now, you still got to make the play, and that's where you got to give Mike Hall a lot of credit. I mean, he's 
very explosive, and, and, and it seems like every time he gets an opportunity to make a play, he makes it. Uh, so he's done a great job in that regard. But I also think there's times where, you know, the guys that maybe were talking up the most, they're getting free rushes to the quarterback. They're taking advantage of them. But some of that has to do with other guys around them, too, helping to clear up those lanes for those guys. So I think just in general, I think the defensive front is, is doing a really good job of working together right now, executing the scheme that Jim Knowles wants them to and it's leading to opportunities to make plays in the backfield yeah dan to that point i think i've been watching jt on a lot of these snaps and he's winning a lot of matchups out there and it's not as you mentioned necessarily leading to big sack numbers for him individually right now but like you said leading to guys like steel chambers right up the middle for for a sack guys eichenberg getting sacks uh, mike hall of course as well that that one huge like four yard tfl for mike hall where, where he just threw like the Arkansas State player and like three other Buckeyes that got into the mix as well down to the ground. That was a play where I was like, the, the whole Aaron Donald comparison, it's obviously very hyperbolic. A guy that had one start going into last week and refer, comparing him to one of the greatest defensive tackles in NFL history and things of that nature. But on that play, I was like, well, that, that did look a little Aaron Donald-esque right there with the showing off the strength and kind of a similar stature as well. But Dan, an, another defensive star for the Buckeyes that, that didn't exactly have the game that I think we were expecting and maybe not the start of the season we were expecting is Denzel Burke. Of course, last year we, we saw him break out as a true freshman starting every game for the Buckeyes at cornerback, but has, has not been a little bit shaky here in the early going to the season. There was that sequence against Arkansas State where I think in a, in a course of, what was it, maybe four plays or so, he had two, two defensive pass interference calls after Arkansas State got the ball back after that Taraja Mitchell special teams penalty. He, he got burned a couple other times as well. There was that huge 58-yard reception he gave up where even after the, the receiver caught the ball, Denzel Burke just kind of runs out of bounds and, and doesn't really have a, a, a sense of urgency about getting him to the ground afterwards. That one was kind of the most alarming one for me in terms of Denzel Burke moments in that game. Afterwards, Dan, him getting benched for most of the, the rest of the game in favor of J.K. Johnson coming in for much of that game as well. How, how concerned would you be, Dan, about Denzel Burke's performance in the first two games, given the expectations he had coming into his second season? Yeah, I don't know that I'm really all that concerned. I mean, I think that certainly expectations are really high for him coming into the year, and I don't think his first two games of the year have lived up to them, but I still think he's a really talented player. I think some of it, 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 could, some of it could be kind of the inverse effect. I mean, we talk about a guy like Tommy Eichenberg, who really seems to be thriving in this scheme. I think maybe Denzel Burke is still kind of getting used to this scheme a little bit. Maybe some of the different things he's being asked to do by Jim Knowles, by Tim Walton, they're a little different than what he was doing last year under Kerry Combs. And some of those things uh, are maybe an adjustment for him in a way that he's still kind of adapting to those things. He did miss some time in preseason camp with a shoulder injury. And Jim Knowles acknowledged on on Tuesday that that doesn't help that you you miss out on those reps in practice that doesn't help you in your preparation for the season and so I, I still think Denzel Burke is a really talented player I think that we will see him play better as the season progresses but clearly there has been some adjustment there for him and maybe 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 the hype was a little bit too much going into the season for him just because I, I think he was great as a freshman but I also think at times it was some of the hype he got as a freshman was somewhat in the sense of 
you, man, this defense is bad. But hey, Den- Denzel's Denzel's not bad. This guy, <laughs> it, it was kind of he he was one of a bright spot on a bad defense. But I, I think there were probably times where his play as a freshman. I mean, like I remember, like the Michigan game, he he struggled in that game, and I, I think some of those things maybe got overlooked a little bit more last year. Where whereas now the rest of the defense around him looks good. Now it's like. Okay, he he he's the guy who's struggling on a defense that's mostly playing well. So again, people need something to nitpick, and and I think he's the guy. And I mean, certainly that was not a good play, giving up a 58-yard catch. I'm sure that he's kicking himself over that one. And with those pass interference penalties, I mean, he looked visibly frustrated. I mean, he was kind of arguing with the officials on. I think particularly the first of those two penalties was a pretty clear penalty. The second one, the guy caught it anyway, and so he he seemed like he was maybe a little caught up in arguing with the officials about those penalties instead of just going back to the next play. And so maybe some of it just kind of needing to calm him down. I mean, I, I mean, I think there were some good moments for Denzel Burke too, rewatching the game. I mean, I thought he made a couple of couple of really nice hits. I, I think Jim Knowles made the point on Tuesday about you're out there on an island as a corner and 99.9% of people couldn't play that position. And I think it's one of those positions, much like an offensive lineman, where you can do your job right 90% of the time, but if you, if you if you make a couple bad plays in those other 10%, those are the plays everyone's going to focus on. And so I don't think I don't think Denzel Burke has been bad per se these first two weeks. I think he's just been inconsistent has certainly had a few plays that he wants to get back and they're going to need him to be more consistent going forward with the season i also think it was a tough matchup for him too i mean i think champ flemings is a legit player i mean he's he's got over 100 receiving yards the first two weeks of a season and he's a 5-5 receiver i thought like later in the game they put cam martinez on him more he that seemed to be a better matchup for him and that was something i was kind of wondering even earlier in the game like is putting denzel burke on champ flemings really the best matchup i mean a a taller, longer corner. Maybe you need a smaller, sh- shiftier kind of slot corner guy, a Tanner McAllister, a Cam Martinez, on a guy like Champ Flemings. Those guys might have more success, and I think that ultimately proved to be true when they mix some things up defensively. And so I think it was a tough matchup for him. I think Flemings is probably Arkansas State's best player. Although, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 you, you made a point before about Arkansas State's offense might not be as bad as people think. And I mean, I agree with that. I mean, I actually thought from what I saw from Arkansas State, I I, I thought they were a better team than maybe I expected going in. CJ Stroud made comments to a similar point on Tuesday. And I mean, still, there's still a talent gap there. Certainly, Ohio State is expected to look dominant against a team like Arkansas State. But I I'm going to be curious, especially now that we know that the Sun Belt is looking pretty pretty competitive right now. I'm going to be curious to see how the rest of the season goes for Arkansas State because we we talk about it's already pretty evident. Yeah, Notre Dame was not the top five team they were coming into the season. But I look at a team like Arkansas State and think maybe as the season wears on, maybe they'll prove to be a better opponent than we thought they were. It in the cornerback position in particular with Burke struggling here a little bit makes things a little bit interesting depth wise because if you guys remember in the preseason when when a couple guys were injured including Jordan Hancock Jim Knowles came out and said that he had some long term depth concerns at that position and I, I think Cam Brown has played really well especially in terms of limiting the yards after catch and things of that nature I think he's kind of stood out amongst some of the DBs in that regard at the beginning of this season but. You know, if Jordan Hancock was healthy right now, I think he'd be the one 
that we saw come in for Burke against Arkansas State. Instead, Dan, we end up seeing getting our longest look at, at J.K. Johnson to date, I believe, and he ended up leading all cornerbacks with 50 snaps played there coming into the game. So the thoughts on how he played, and also I should mention as well, Ryan Day saying on Tuesday that he's hopeful that Jordan Hancock will be back on the field next week. We have not gotten to see him on defense yet for Ohio State this season. He alluded to the fact that he he had suffered a a pretty significant injury in the preseason that's taken a while for him to get back. So, so if, if, if Hancock is healthy, that should certainly help out. But how did you think J.K. Johnson played in that role coming in as the number three cornerback there? Yeah, I mean, I thought he was solid. I didn't really notice anything bad, particularly. I mean, other than on special teams where the ball hit his leg and gave the ball back to Arkansas State. That's certainly something uh, they're going to want to clean up. He also had a second penalty in addition to the Taraja Mitchell penalty on that Emeka Buka punt return touchdown. So special teams, uh, I think he's got some things to clean up there. But I thought defensively at cornerback, I thought he played pretty solid. Ryan Day uh, praised his play on Tuesday as well. At the same time, you've got the impression from Jim Knowles' comments that he does feel better about Jordan Hancock right now than he does about J.K. Johnson or any of the other backup cornerbacks. So I did get just reading between the lines, interpreting what he said, gave me the impression that when Jordan Hancock is healthy, he will be the number three cornerback behind Denzel Burke and Cam Brown. But I thought J.K. Johnson played pretty well in his first extended playing time of his Ohio State career. And I thought Jair Brown put in some good reps at the end of the game, too. He only played late in the game in the fourth quarter. But, you know, his first snaps as a Buckeye as a true freshman, he he had a couple nice plays, I thought. I, I, I liked what... I saw from him in a short amount of time, and he was one of the first freshmen to lose his black stripe this year. So he's a guy that seems to have some momentum going for him. Maybe not someone they want to have to rely on this year, but I, I, I liked the first impressions we got of him playing in a Buckeye uniform. Yeah, but he, Brown almost had an, an interception there late in the game, if I if I recall correctly. But yeah, like you said, in that first game against Notre Dame, no freshman played on offense or defense. Only two freshmen played on special teams in that game. I, I wrote a piece coming into the game about how we were going to get to see a, a lot of these uh, freshmen and, and backups for Ohio State play maybe less than we expected just because things were a little bit tighter than maybe we expected going into halftime with a little bit of sloppy play, as we mentioned. But certainly at the end of the game, guys did get some looks. You mentioned Caden Curry having a big TFL there. Ryan Day, I, th- I think the coach, the coaching staff continues to be very high on Caden Curry. Seems like the future is bright for him. Dallin Hayden had a nine-yard carry. We see the first carry of his career as a true freshman. Yada Jackson, you, you noted, Dan, had the, the highest PFF grade of any buck with a 90 grade. He he lost his black stripe in the preseason as well. I think during the game, we, we mentioned a few times that Sonny Styles seemed to be getting a lot of looks on special teams. Dan, anyone else for you really stand out? among the, the freshmen or maybe some some other under-the-radar players that we haven't mentioned from Saturday's game. Yeah, I mean, I thought Curry was probably the guy that really caught my eye the most among the freshmen, and I think that was true for a lot of people. He had back-to-back tackles in one sequence, I think four tackles overall, including a tackle for loss. There was another in play where, I mean, he was stood up as a jack linebacker, and he picked up a running back coming out of a backfield and he pretty much ran stride for stride from down the field. And so I, I'm impressed by what we saw from Caden Curry. And I'm, I'm very interested to see, does that lead to more playing time for him? Cause I mean, like if we're just going to be real here, like you, you see him play a dozen plays and you go, 
Well, that's a lot more flash than we've seen from a Javante Jean-Baptiste or a Tyler Friday. So I'm curious to see, does that lead to more opportunities from Curry in that rotation? I mean, I think certainly to Imoloau, Sawyer, and and Harris that are going to be the top three guys in that rotation. But can Curry maybe steal some snaps in there? I think based on the way he played in first impression and based on the way coaches have been talking about him, I, I certainly... Don't rule that out. Like you mentioned, Sonny Styles. You know, just the fact that he was playing as much as he is on special teams. We know that a lot of times coaches view earning those roles on special teams as a precursor to earning bigger roles on offense and defense. So the fact that he was playing more than any other freshman on special teams, I think that's notable because for I mean, for one, if he continues those roles, that would indicate that they're not looking at a red shirt for him. And two, that he seems to be further ahead than a lot of the other freshmen in the class, e- even though he should really be a senior in high school right now. Then how about a couple other storylines on defense in terms of personnel? Cody Simon entering the season, coming off of that shoulder surgery, was kind of like, where does he fit in with Eichenberg and Chambers and those guys kind of taking the forefront at linebacker? He has a, a pretty nice game against Arkansas State. And then Knowles on Tuesday basically said when asked about Simon that he likes that those three guys kind of in there rotating Eichenberg, Chambers, and Simon at linebacker. Josh Proctor getting the start at safety. After all indications were that Lathan Ransom was going to start at that bandit safety position after that missed tackle by Josh Proctor on the, the first Notre Dame snap on offense in the season opener, springing that 50-plus yard. Even on, on in Ronde's Thursday quick press conference that he did before the game, he, he kind of insinuated that, yeah, the plan is for Lathan Ransom to probably start there after having a, a standout performance. But Josh Proctor got a kind of a vote of confidence from the Buckeye coaching staff, ends up starting in that role and having a nice bounce back a game for him to give him some confidence going into some tougher matchups here in, in coming weeks. Yeah, I thought Proctor played well, just especially, again, rewatching the game. There's things you see you didn't see live. I thought he played well, made some nice tackles, seemed to be consistently in the right position, which was an important thing for him, obviously, after what happened on that first play of a Notre Dame game. At the same time, I thought Lathan Ransom played really well, too, continued to make some, some really nice tackles out there. And so I think both those guys are going to be in the rotation going forward. I mean, everything I've seen from Ransom so far suggests to me that he's a guy that's got to be on the field but I think they they backed up their words from a week when they were saying we still think Josh Proctor is going to have a role for us I'm thinking the man Ransom seems to have all momentum but then by putting Proctor back out there as a starter I think that was showing a vote of confidence in them that hey we still believe in you you're still a key guy for us and we're going to continue to roll a few. And we did see more of a rotation at those safety spots in this game both with Proctor and Ransom, as well as Tanner McAllister and Cam Martinez. So it's going to be interesting to see how that rotation plays out over the course of a year. I mean, Ronnie Hickman seems to be the guy that they always want out there, but they see, I, I could see there's continuing to be a little bit more rotation, both with Ransom and, and Martinez getting some snaps in there. And as you mentioned, we certainly have seen that rotation at Will Linebacker. And I want to give Cody Simon credit because I, because I did say last week, that I thought in the first game, it was pretty clear that Steel Chambers had outplayed Cody Simon. But I thought Cody Simon played much better in this game. He he had a lot of nice plays around the line of scrimmage, really seemed to be consistently in the right position and, and playing a physicality. And Jim Knowles said Tuesday, I think he said, I think his phrase that he used was that Cody's a really stable presence out there. And, and he thinks that that rubs off on the other players on the defense. And so I think Saturday showed us why Cody Simon 
continues to get those reps. I mean, even though Steel Chambers, he was Ohio State's defensive player of a game. I mean, Steel Chambers played well. Tommy Eichenberg continues to play well. But, you know, Jim Knowles seems to like what he's got going there with that Chambers-Simon rotation at will, but Tommy really being the guy at Mike. On offense, a couple of other rotational, interesting rotational things with uh, Mitch Rossi and G. Scott. Obviously, that the tight end situation with Cade Stover being the number one guy. The end of last season, he was a linebacker. We thought that was going to be in the cards for him because of the, the situation at, at tight end with Jeremy Ruckert going pro. Stover's back at tight end. Uh, all the fans want to see G. Scott Jr. play tight end. I mean, that much is, is definitely clear, at least from my Twitter mentions, certainly. And we got to see G. Scott play for 16 snaps against Arkansas State. Ryan Day said that, that G. Scott re- actually had an impact on the game in terms of how the Arkansas State defense was kind of lining up against the Buckeye offense. Mitch Rossi playing 23 snaps as well. But Dan, does any part of you, when you hear Ryan Day talk about G. Scott, you know, he's, he said something like, and this is just me reading between the lines a little bit, but he said, like, talking about G. Scott, that he's training with the tight ends and that he came over from the wide receivers and he was lined up as a tight end, things like that, that that maybe there's still something with Ryan Day that's holding him back from like fully believing in G. Scott as a tight end. That's the, not, that's the I sense I got anyway. I don't know. I don't know that I got that sense. I mean, I think he kind of answered it that way because I asked him about G kind of having that hybrid ability. And the reason I asked him that is because I had heard what he had said on the radio on Monday night where he was talking about how Arkansas State had adjusted the way it's played its defense when G was on the field and kind of treated him like a receiver. And I also, in that same vein, I thought it was interesting that in the fourth quarter, when we saw the backups in there, they they could have put one of the freshman receivers on the field, a Keon Grays or a Caleb Brown, but instead they they had two tight ends in there for that whole drive. The only drive Kyle McCord was in the game with Mitch Rossi and G Scott and, and G was flexed out on a lot of those plays. And so, I mean, we've talked about it before. I mean, I think G does have that potential to be an X factor for the offense, just in kind of having that hybrid skill set. But I think the most important thing I saw from G on Saturday was I thought he had a really good game as a blocker. And I think that's, that's the thing that has held him back. Maybe even is still holding him back a little bit from playing more is, can he be a guy they consistently trust as a blocker? I think Cade Stover's had a really strong start to the year. I like what we saw from him. I mean, he made a really nice play in the receiving game on Saturday, which backing up a lot of what we heard about him before the season, his improvement as a receiver. I thought Mitch Rossi had a really good game as well. He made some really nice blocks out there in, in the run game. And so you can see why those two guys are the top two guys right now. But I think G made a case for himself on Saturday to also have a role in that tight end rotation. I still anticipate that it's going to be mostly Stover and Rossi going forward, but I felt like G gained some momentum there on on Saturday toward potentially having more of a role in the offense going forward. Dan, if if we're going to say that the Buckeyes referring to Mike Hall as baby Aaron Donald is a bit of hyperbole, I think C.J. Stroud referring to Cade Stover as baby Gronk on Tuesday was even more so. That was even a little bit too crazy for me, to be honest. He did have that big play in the passing game, and I don't think anyone's going to be confusing Cade Stover with Gronk anytime soon. And as we kind of talked about it, I don't think the, the backups and freshmen didn't get quite as many reps as we probably thought they were going to in that game still did more players played certainly than the season opener but Danny if things go right for the Buckeyes in this next matchup against Toledo we may have a chance to see the backups play again although I think certainly from talking to you before doing the podcast I think that you think 
Toledo is probably a better team and a tougher opponent than Arkansas State for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I think so. And again, I mean, I think Arkansas State may be a little better than I gave him credit for going in. I also don't really know at all how good Toledo is because their first two opponents were LIU, which is an FCS team, and UMass, which is probably the worst team in the FBS. If Bottom three, I'd say, along with Charlotte and Hawaii right now. And so Toledo has not been tested by even a good, even a good mid-major opponent yet, let alone an Ohio State. And so we really don't know going into this game how good Toledo is. But with that being said, I mean, Toledo has been dominant in its first two games. It's, it's outscored its first two opponents 92 to 10. It currently ranks in the top five nationally in both total and scoring defense, number two in passing defense. So this is a team that so far this year is playing really good football. And if, and if you look at their history, they've typically played tough in these kind of games. I mean, last year they lost 32 to 29 to Notre Dame, had a real chance of winning that game. So this is not a team that historically you know, lays down and gets run all over in games like this. They, they usually come ready to compete and they usually hang around for a little while. And I, and, and, you know, maybe it's better to like set expectations a little bit lower this week because I mean, I think again, I mean, you, you look at the spread, it, it, Ohio state opened as a 34 point favorite that sets the expectation that Ohio state's going to roll over this team and blow them out. And if they don't, then they, they didn't play well, but to me, that spread's too high, and, and betters have agreed so far is that that spread has already dropped two and a half points down to 31 and a half points. I still think that's a little bit high for this game because I, I do think Toledo is a better team than Arkansas State, and Ohio State only beat Arkansas State by 33. I think the question is, can Ohio State play cleaner can Ohio State take its game to another level to where it could potentially end up with a more lopsided win, even though it's facing a team that I think is a better opponent this week? Dan, you mentioned Toledo playing tough in these types of games. And and yes, I think last year's uh, three-point loss to Notre Dame is probably more relevant to this game than the one I'm about to mention. But you go back to the last time Ohio State played Toledo, 2011, Ohio State actually needed a, a go-ahead touchdown in the second half to end up squeaking out a single-digit win over Toledo in the first couple of games of the season. I think that that was kind of the the warning that that things weren't going to go a, according to plan or according to anyone's best-case scenario for that team, which of course led by Luke Fickle after the whole Trestle, Terrell Pryor, and everything like that situation. But Dan, I also don't think that that C.J. Stroud is is Joe Bowserman, a quarterback, oh, and, and that's who the Buckeyes had in that matchup. I'm sure some of you won't want to remember that. Yeah, a little bit, particular a little era. bit of a difference there. Yeah, just just a little bit. But Dan Toledo, a quarterback in their own right, and going into this matchup, Daquan Finn, a guy that's a, a dual threat guy that could that could present some problems for the Buckeyes. I know we talked about going into the Notre Dame game, Tyler Buckner's ability to be a, a dual threat quarterback. We didn't see a whole lot of it so far for Finn. 526 total yards, six total touchdowns, three passing and three rushing in his first two games. So perhaps that's an interesting wrinkle to throw in there for the Toledo offense going up against an Ohio State defense that hasn't led allowed a touchdown in, in what six quarters or something like that now. Yeah, he's a good player. He's I think that he's a he's a guy that's capable of making some plays even in a game like this. I mean, like you mentioned, they they already faced one dual threat quarterback in Tyler Buckner and 
handled that threat well. And so I don't, I think there's been times in past years where we've really seen Ohio State really struggle to handle dual threat quarterbacks. And then you worry a little bit more about that element. I don't know that that element specifically really concerns me for Ohio State in, in this argument. I, I think he's a good player. And so might this be the best offense Ohio State has faced this year? It's possible. I mean, I, I mean, it's not as talented as Notre Dame. I mean, I think Notre Dame certainly is a better offensive line than, than Toledo, but may, maybe Toledo can do some things that, that challenge Ohio State's defense a, a little bit more in this game than we've seen in the first couple games. How about on defense, Dan? Toledo has a linebacker that Buckeye fans will definitely be familiar with. Dallas Gant is, a, is a Toledo's leading tackler so far. I think he's in the top 40 in the country in total tackles as well with 20, I think, through the first two games. But he's a guy that last year was hoping that would be his opportunity at Ohio State after waiting years behind those guys that obviously played several years, the Baron Brownings and Tough Borlands of the world. Didn't end up really getting that opportunity because after the first few games. He ended up seeing his snaps really slashed there for Ohio State as things kind of went wrong defensively. Ends up transferring to Toledo where he went to high school in Toledo. And and now he's been very, very solid for the Toledo defense so far. Dan, I know you talked to Dallas Gant either, what, yesterday or today or something like that. Monday. So obviously you have a little more insight into his thoughts and feelings coming back to Ohio State and to play in this game if you want to enlighten our listeners here. Yeah, I, it was it was nice catching up with Dallas and talking to him. And you can read the story on Eleven Warriors. And he said that he, it was a neat, it was it wasn't an easy decision for him to leave Ohio State. He described it as probably the hardest decision he, he's ever made in his life. But he felt like it was the decision that he needed to make because the reality was he was in his fourth year at Ohio State and he was still a backup a couple games before he decided to. To leave, he really hadn't been playing much at all, and he felt like he he needed to transfer, preserve his last couple of years of eligibility, so that he could have a chance to show what he could do somewhere else. And I think, I think really like this is what the transfer portal like should accomplish. Like I think this is this is a sense where I think for Dallas it, it really made a lot of sense for him to transfer back to his hometown school go to Toledo and and now he's got a chance to really play a major role there. Whereas if he had stayed at Ohio State, there's a good chance he'd still be a backup right now. He probably wouldn't be playing over Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers and Cody Simon. And so I think for him it was just a logical decision for him to make. I've no obviously Ryan Ryan Day wasn't thrilled at the time that he chose to left chose to leave in, in in the middle of the season. And I think even today, he, when he was asked about it, there was a little bit of consternation about just kind of a way that all went down. But Ryan Day also said that Dallas was a, is a great guy and that his family was great during the recruiting process and that he's happy to see him succeed. And Dallas Gant had a lot of good things to say about Ohio State. I mean, he said, let me see if I can find a quote there. He said, I don't think I'd be half the player that I am if I hadn't gone to Ohio State. And so I think, I think for both sides, it's just a matter of it, it was time for Dallas to to move on. You can people could disagree with the timing or whatnot, but I think ultimately Dallas just did what he thought was best for him. And I think so far that certainly seems to be the way that it's working out for him. But I think that he, he's in a great position, and I think we'll see him play a lot on Saturday. I know. I think one of the first comments I saw in the story was someone saying, "Oh, is this going to be like Brian Sneed last week where?" Uh, he didn't play, and I mean that—that that was a totally different situation with with Brian Sneed, where he was dismissed from the university, and from the sounds of it, he was not allowed back on campus for the game last week because of the circumstances 
of his dismissal, which involved sexual assault accusations. And so this is a completely different situation. I mean, maybe probably would be a stretch to say it was an amicable, amicable, amicable breakup at the time just because of a timing of it. But I think ultimately all is good between both sides. I think the Ohio State players are going to be very happy to see Dallas on Saturday and vice versa. And I'm sure I'm sure there will be some photo ops after the game with uh, Dallas uh, taking pictures of his for- former teammates because he told me that uh, he is still close with many of them and uh, still talks to them a lot. Not about football, but just about about life because uh, he still considers uh, his former Ohio State teammates to be his brothers. And before we get into score predictions here, we should mention this question here by Bull1214. Who is more likely to play, JSN or Fleming, both or neither, in this game? And, and we already kind of alluded to the fact that Ryan Day in his Tuesday press conference said he expects both of them to play, Dan. Are, are you expecting both of them to play, however? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't know their yeah. their medical history. So, I mean, for me to really say make a prediction on RBL play, I mean, that's just pure speculation. I mean, it, I mean, there seems to be genuine optimism. And I will say, watching them warm up on Saturday, they both seem to be moving fine. It it seemed more like they were being held out for precautionary reasons on Saturday before the Arkansas State game than them being completely unable to play. And so I I think it is realistic for both of them to be back in the lineup this week. I mean, I think certainly for Fleming, he he would really want to get back in the lineup this week because obviously this is not the start of a season he wanted. And I mean, we've seen Ibuka. I mean, I think Ibuka has done what he's needed to do to establish a starting job at this point. And so now if you're Julian Fleming, when you get back in to the fold, it's really about trying to cement yourself as that fourth receiver in, in the rotation. And, and he has to get back on the field to do that. And so I think this week would be a great opportunity for him to do that. And so I certainly would think that if he's healthy enough to play, he, he's going to want to be out there and they're going to try to have him out there. I mean, I think with Jackson, I still personally would maybe be inclined to be a little bit on the side of, is it really worth playing him against Toledo? Like, should we wait another week and get him back in there against Wisconsin? But I think ultimately they're, they're going to be smart about it. They're going to they're gonna make a decision based on his health. If, if Jackson feels like he's good to go and he's moving the way he normally would, then he'll probably be out there. If, if there's any doubt, they'll probably hold him out for another week to make sure he gets fully healthy. Yeah, it's like obviously the, the health is the number one thing for these guys, of course. And then you talk about the NFL for a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba too. But, you know, you think about it and you, you hold Jackson Smith and Jigba out for this game and suddenly he's played, what, 15 snaps in the first three games of the season, the first quarter of the regular season. That's a big part of a season for a guy that I'm sure behind the scenes, he might not say it, but, you know, has goals to win awards and be on lists and things like that by the end of the season to really boost his stock going into April's draft and things like that. But Dan, I am going to predict a 41 to 16 win for the Buckeyes over the Rockets this weekend. My school of thought being, okay, maybe Toledo is a little bit better than Arkansas State. So we're seeing a a closer margin of victory here for the Buckeyes. But I'm also predicting Toledo gets in the end zone, but but still has is held to a few field goals by an Ohio State defense that we've seen now be pretty proficient at doing that. And the Ohio State offense, maybe not putting up quite as many points as some people think just because hey, let's say the, the Toledo defense might just be a little bit better than some people are thinking given its national ranks, despite the fact that we really don't know how good it is 
based on the teams it's played so far. Yeah, pretty similar schools of thought there. I have Ohio State winning this game 45 to 17. Closer than the Arkansas State game, but not much closer because although I think Toledo is a better team than Arkansas State, I also think Ohio State is going to play a little bit cleaner. Coming off of last week, I think they're going to really put an emphasis on cleaning up things like penalties. I, I'll say this. I will predict that we will, we will see our first defensive takeaway of a season because amazingly, despite the defense's success so far this year, Ohio State has not yet forced a turnover. No interceptions, no fumble recovery. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say that we will see the defense force at least one turnover this week. Maybe, maybe give up a couple touchdowns. And that could be later in the game. Again, I mean, I think certainly, that, like you mentioned before, they're going to want to hopefully have the opportunity to get some, get some backups in there in the second half and get them some reps. But that will all depend on how the game plays out. But I do think ultimately Ohio State wins this game convincingly, but I won't be shocked if Toledo gives them a scare for a while. If, 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 it's, if it's a close game at halftime, I won't be shocked. I think Ohio State ultimately pulls away, but I, I do think that there's a chance that Toledo makes this one interesting for a while and creates some anxiety for Ohio State fans before Ohio State ultimately proves to be the better team and takes care of business. So we're both predicting that Ohio State will be 3-0 and after this weekend, but we're also predicting they're going to start the season 0-3 against the spread. Indeed, yes, Dan. And uh, last note on the game coming up here this weekend from Daniel. Wants to know who gets the rock more on Saturday, Dan, Travion Henderson or Mayan Williams? And Dan, do you really think that that matters all that much? I really don't. I mean, I, I think it's probably going to be pretty similar to what we've seen with those guys getting a, a pretty even split of the carries. Ryan Day said on Tuesday that that's the plan to want you want to split carries between those guys, keep them both fresh week in and week out. And and he's talked really highly about Mayan Williams. I mean, he he has repeatedly said that Mayan Williams had a great offseason. He said Tuesday that Mayan Williams is ahead of where he thought he would be six months ago. And so I think when when we were talking a couple weeks ago and I thought it would be more like a 70-30 split or whatnot, I think Ohio State really is liking this being more of a 50-50 split. And I, and I think I think we could continue to see it be like that quite a bit going forward. So if you're going to force me to pick, I'll say that Mayan Williams gets slightly more carries than Travion Henderson on Saturday, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll play more snaps than Travion Henderson. Yeah, I certainly love watching Mayan Williams run the ball, so more more touches for Mayan Williams, especially in a game like this. I, I will have no problem with that at all. But Dan, let's talk about some non-Ohio State-related topics around the landscape of college football. But actually, you know, the first thing we're going to talk about here is kind of related to Ohio State because Notre Dame, of course, a team that Ohio State beat by double digits in week one, albeit not a completely dominant performance or perfect performance. That that game suddenly looks, you know, that win doesn't look as great now because, of course, as we alluded to before, Notre Dame loses to Marshall in its second game of the season, their first game at home. And I had a lot of people trolling me, Dan, or trolling Ryan Day, really, in my Twitter replies after tweeting out Day's post-game comment saying, in some ways, we've already proved ourselves because we've already beaten a top-five opponent. Well, listen, Notre Dame is not a top five opponent anymore. And uh, people were, were voicing their opinions about that on social media. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it asks that question. I mean, what does it change about about win and what does it take away from it? I mean, I mean, first things first, it only matters if Ohio State actually loses a game. As long as if Ohio State wins out, 
then it doesn't, then, you know, the college ball playoff resume stuff, you don't even have to get into it. Ohio State will get in. If, if Ohio State loses a game and then it ends up in, in those debates, then, then maybe it, it matters that Notre Dame is not living up to expectations. And I mean, certainly things look like they're going to go from bad to worse for Notre Dame with Tyler Buckner now being out for the season. Notre Dame looks like they could be in for a pretty rough first year under Marcus Freeman with the way things are going. But just in terms of how it applies to that Ohio State game, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is if we know now that, okay, Notre Dame really isn't a top five caliber team this year, then I think it leaves a little bit more in question about, okay, we really talked up how Ohio State won that first game and, and proven it could win a tough game against a top opponent. But I think now it's, it, it's, it's pretty evident that like there's going to be teams still on the regular season schedule who are better than Notre Dame. I mean, before the year we were saying Notre Dame could arguably be the best team Ohio State plays during the regular season. Now I don't think anybody's making that argument. And so I think it leaves some questions just in terms of, okay, I mean, if Ohio State plays Michigan later in the year, or even teams like Michigan State, Penn State, Wisconsin in a, in a couple weeks, are those teams better than Notre Dame? Will those teams be more capable of challenging o- Ohio State than, than Notre Dame was. I, I think those are valid questions, but I still think the fact that Ohio State, I mean, it, Notre Dame was a top five team at the time. It was a very h- hyped matchup. And I mean, Notre Dame will, will they haven't got off to a good start to the year. They are dealing with some adversity, but they'll still probably play better in future weeks than they did against Marshall. So, I mean, I, I still think it's a big win for Ohio State to start the year, but not quite as big as it looked a couple weeks ago. That's for sure. And staying in the Sun Belt, and again, we've already alluded to these games, but the number six team in the country falls to Appalachian State, Texas A&M. All the five-star recruits in that 2022 recruiting class, all the record-setting numbers in that group could not save Jimbo Fisher and company from falling at the hands of Appalachian State a la Michigan back in the day, Dan. Any big thoughts or takeaways on that matchup? Not really. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I, I thought Texas A&M probably overrated coming into the season. So I think that validates that. I mean, Texas A&M has a lot of young talent, certainly after bringing in the highest rated recruiting class ever last year. But I think it's going to take a year for that talent to really get to where it's able to make a big impact on the field. And so I think next year, Texas A&M is certainly going to be a team to watch. But I never really believed Texas A&M was going to be a a major CFP threat this year. And they're certainly climbing uphill now that they have a loss already on their resume. Dan, another Sunbelt upset here. Nebraska going down to Georgia Southern. And Dan, finally, the Scott Frost era has ended. And I say finally because I was writing about Scott Frost a little bit in one of the pieces I did. Looking back on his career in Nebraska, Dan, never a winning season, never even a 500 season, never a bowl appearance And even Scott Frost's predecessor, Mike Riley at Nebraska, ended with a 500 record at Nebraska. Scott Frost, uh, there was a lot of positivity about him coming into the program and everything like that. But Nebraska ends up firing him before his buyout would have ended up dropping significantly in in a few days or a few days, a few weeks, one one of those days. A few weeks, yeah, October 1. But yeah, I mean, I think it was going to be pretty untenable to continue forward with Scott Frost after losing to Georgia Southern. And I thought maybe they would try just because seven and a half million dollars is a lot of money. And Scott Frost now has the best job in America, fired college football coach, where he gets $16 million to not coach. But yeah, I think Nebraska really had no choice there but to move on after losing to Georgia Southern. I mean, that that's that, that's a last straw on a tenure that had already been 
a disaster and really shockingly so because I mean you look at it I mean this is a guy who had an undefeated season at UCF I mean he he was viewed as one of the top rising coaches in the profession when Nebraska hired him and it just did not work out at all so pretty pretty shocking to me that that went as poorly as it did but I think I think it was a mistake first of all keeping him last year. I mean, I think they should have moved on last year because, I mean, it fifth straight losing season. There, there was not a whole lot of, there was not a whole lot of positive momentum for Nebraska coming off uh, of last year. And I think there was a belief that, hey, we're going to give him one more shot and we think we can turn it around this year. But after that one and two start, it, it was clear of it things were not going to get turned around under Scott Frost. And so and Nebraska really had no choice but to move on. To make a bad weekend worse for the Big Ten West, Iowa loses to Iowa State in a game that was absolutely devoid of any offense, and Northwestern loses to Duke, and most importantly of all for Ohio State, given that Wisconsin is coming up on the Buckeye schedule in just two weeks, Wisconsin will not come into that September 24th matchup undefeated, Dan, as the Badgers take their first loss of the season to Washington State in a low-scoring affair. How much does that affect how you look at Paul, Chris, and company going into that matchup in just a couple weeks here? Well, I think back to when we did our confidence rankings of Ohio State's games a few weeks ago, and Wisconsin was near the bottom of both of our lists as a a team that we thought was one of the most likely teams to upset Ohio State. And now I look at them and I go, I mean, again, we talk about offensively challenged teams. There's a lot of them on Ohio State's schedule. I mean, certainly Iowa. Iowa is... I think as offensively challenged as any team in the country right now, but Wisconsin, not a whole lot better than, than, than Iowa right now, scoring only 14 points against Washington State in that loss. And I, I look at Wisconsin, I and mean, I think they have a really talented running back in Braylon Allen, but I think that's a game where if Ohio State can stop the run, Wisconsin's going to be in big trouble. And so far, Ohio State's done a great job stopping the run. And so and I look at that game. We'll talk more about that game next week. I mean, I think it'll be a competitive game. I think Wisconsin has a, a really good defense. So I, 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 think, I think there's going to be a lot of similarities between that game and the Notre Dame game, including the fact that we now know they're both going to be 7.30 p.m. ABC games under the lights at Ohio Stadium. I think there's going to be a lot of similarities there. But when I look at Wisconsin, I, I think, well, they they really got to figure something out offensively in the next couple of weeks if they're going to really have a chance to beat Ohio State. Dan, our listener named Bia <laughs> wants to know, how do you view the state of the Big Ten now compared to, let's say, the Urban Meyer era? Do you see a distinct difference in inequality in the conference stand between those two periods of time? I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think that I think the Big Ten West is looking pretty weak right now. But you know, I think if you look in the East, I mean, I think Michigan is looking stronger right now than it has in quite some time. I mean, I think that they're off to a strong start to the season after making the playoff last year. And so I, their ability to compete with Ohio State is a lot higher than it's been for several years. I think Michigan State is back on a they were they were down for a few years, and I think they're back on an upward trajectory now under Mel Tucker. Penn State, I'm still kind of in wait and see mode on them this year, but you know, so far they're unbeaten. They're on the 
the top 25. So I, I think I think the Big Ten East is still pretty strong. I think there's certainly a, a divide between the East and the West right now. And we'll see maybe next year, maybe divisions will no longer be a thing. Certainly we know that in two years, USC and UCLA will be joining the conference and who knows who else might ultimately end up in that mix. But I mean, when I look at it right now, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I mean, Ohio State, from a talent perspective, is clearly the class of a conference, but I think there's teams led by Michigan that are are capable of competing with Ohio State. And really, this is a question that we can answer better in three months than we can right now when we really see how the season plays out. Well, Dan, you mentioned Michigan, and as I recall, when we did our confidence rankings for Ohio State before the season, and I could be completely off base here because I don't exactly remember, but you didn't have Michigan at the... your, your, your your lowest confidence rankings there. I believe you had them somewhere middle in the pack. How would you kind of reassess your confidence rankings for the rest of Ohio State's schedule seeing what we've seen in the first two weeks of the season? Yeah, I'd have Michigan a little lower than I did then. I think I had them six then. I'd have them a little lower. I mean, I'm still I'm still reasonably confident that Ohio State will beat Michigan this year of it being at home and the revenge game. But I think you just look at the teams on Ohio State's schedule. I think they clearly look like the best so far. Now, granted, we, we talked about it with Toledo. We don't really know how good they are. The same is true for Michigan because they've played Colorado State and Hawaii. And so it's possible these first couple of weeks are a, a mirage in terms of how good Michigan actually is. But they, they look the part so far. So far, they, they look like they're a team that's a top five team in the country again. And so, I mean, I think back to, I mean, again, probably the biggest thing that stands out is I had Iowa in the bottom three when I did those rankings. I'd probably move Iowa up to like six now. I mean, Notre Dame, you got to take Notre Dame out of the equation because they've already played. But Iowa, I I would like, I had, I think, Maryland seven. Like, I would move Iowa above Maryland now in terms of teams I'm confident Ohio State would beat because, I mean, Iowa has shown absolutely no ability to score. And so I think my confidence in Iowa is a lot higher than it was then. Like I said, my confidence in Wisconsin is also higher than it was then. I would still put Michigan State at the bottom. I still think Michigan State is dangerous. If that being the first road game of a year, we'll see how they look over the next couple of weeks. But I would still put Michigan State. They'd still be the team that I would look at. I'd circle as leave a most. If I was going to pick a game that I thought was most likely to be an upset, that's still the game I'd go with. We'll see if I'm saying that in a few weeks when Ohio State actually plays Michigan State, but I'd I'd still go with Michigan State being the game I'm least confident Ohio State will win, although I do think Michigan is one of the top two teams in the conference along with Ohio State right now. And Ohio State entering this week, number three in the country, Dan, a team that sidestepped a near catastrophe there, Alabama at number one, avoiding defeat by Texas. We we were all sitting there in the post-game press conference room after Ohio State's win on Saturday. All the media members glued to the TV screen as Alabama came back and as they seem to do so many times and it always seems like Bama escapes the jaws of defeat by the skin of their teeth in, in games like this. But Alabama ends up beating Texas on that last second field goal. Would you, Dan, if you were voting, would you have moved Alabama below Ohio State in the rankings for that, that close victory? Or is it the fact that they, they win a game against a conference opponent? Does that still keep them, in your eyes, ahead of a team like Ohio State? You're already calling Texas a conference opponent for Alabama. Yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why that, that's slipping they in my head. Be, but they will be soon. We're that, close. We're close. Yeah, we are very close to that actually being the case. But me, 
if I if I had a vote in one of the polls, I would have had Georgia number one, Ohio State number two, and Alabama number three. Now I'm I'm not surprised that Alabama stayed ahead of Ohio State. And the reason why I'm not surprised is because Notre Dame lost again, taking that taking that luster out of that that first week win. I think people could justify and say, well, Ohio State really didn't blow out a Notre Dame team. It doesn't look very good. And Texas might actually be good. And and so they they didn't necessarily penalize Alabama for that. But I mean, Ohio State ultimately took control of that Notre Dame game in in the fourth quarter and, and won it convincingly. I mean, Alabama survived by the skin of its teeth against Texas. And so for that reason, I would have Alabama third behind Georgia and Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, even going into the season, I don't really understand why Georgia wasn't necessarily at number one. I I know they lost a lot of pieces and everything like that, but that's a team that certainly looks like the best team in the country right now. It's really hard to say what we'll have to see with Alabama. I'm sure it'll be right in, in the upper echelon of teams by the end of the season, unless something goes horribly wrong here in the coming weeks. But yeah, I don't have anything. I can't say, oh, drop Alabama out of the rankings after barely beating Texas or anything like that, even though I know the sentiment from a lot of fans is if we were if we we're doing the rankings by what we've seen right now and that was one of the two games, then you have to drop Alabama. But I think it'll end up working out in the long run. Yeah, I mean, again, realistically, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter who's ahead of who in the second week of a season. There's still a long way to go and, and a lot for these things to play out. But I... I I do think certainly the takeaway from that game is Alabama's far from far from invincible. I mean, I think Alabama has been most people, including my own prediction to win the national championship this year. But after seeing them survive that game, like, all right, let's let's see on Alabama. Okay, maybe 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 not quite, at least not yet what I thought they would be. But again, it's early in the season. Nobody has to look like a national champion right now. It's all about getting there right now to the chance to compete for a national championship later in the season. And and certainly, I think right now, those three, whatever order you want to shake them out, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, those are the three that stand out still as the top national championship contenders. Yeah, and I don't have anything else, man. We're looking forward to week three coming up here, Ohio State versus Toledo. Dan, any thoughts to leave our wonderful listeners out on here? I think you covered it. Ohio State playing Toledo on Saturday, 7 o'clock on Fox. We will be there as always, and we'll be back next week to talk about it all. Thanks for listening in, and have a great week.